Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Well, I kind of have a weird question for you. What's your plan to love? Okay, that could go, like, on so many levels. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so, like, when you say that, like, love who? like love me love your friend me 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 love your husband and even do you have a plan and how you love your enemies wow that now that's going deep and that's something to really think about yeah um, let's go back to just loving me how do you plan on loving your friend <laughs> i i will talk to you about that later okay <laughs> i'll take you to lunch later okay um <laughs> Before we get too far into our show, though, we want to remind everyone that you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to actually have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, we have an amazing show today, and we're going to start out with Sheila Ray Gregoire, and she is the author of Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. Sheila is a popular blogger, speaker, and award-winning author. She has a heart for empowering women to grow in their relationships. She is a sought-out speaker across North America and is affiliated with Family Life Canada and World Vision's Girls' Night Out program, which is an amazing program. Sheila is the 2012 winner of the top literary prize for Canadian Christian books for The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, and her blog, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, is rated one of the top 25 mom blogs on the web. Known as a woman with common sense and a real-world advice, which is good for us, Lise, we could always use some more common sense, she isn't afraid to use her trademark wit to challenge the conventional Christian culture, resulting in a formula for success, which has earned her an online following in the hundreds of thousands. So welcome, Sheila. How are you today? I'm doing great. You're making me sound so smart. Oh, my I goodness. I am too. I know. I'm, ready. I'm about ready to get off the air right now. It's like- <laughs> well, we're going to have fun today. I'm so glad you've got me on. Well, we're excited. And Sheila... You have a quote that's going to make you even be smarter. Um, okay. Whenever someone says, oh, here, I have a quote from you, it just makes you be the expert. So I want you to know that. <laughs> um, you have a quote of, I know what it is to have a happy marriage, and I know what it is to have a lonely marriage. And the difference between the two has been largely about attitude. I just needed to change perspective. So I'm going to just jump right in and ask you, because I, I love that quote, how did this happen? Like what opened your eyes to even be able to realize, wait, I, I need to change my perspective here. Well, I like to tell people I've been married for 24 years now and happily married for about 19. So um, we had some really rough times at the beginning of our, of our marriage. And a lot of it had to do with sex 
to be totally honest, like it was, it was awkward. It didn't feel that great. And I just couldn't figure out what all the fuss was about. Um, and yet he wanted it like all the time. Mm. And so the more he wanted it, the more I felt like, oh, you just love me for what I can do for you. You don't really love me. And so it just put me in this real funk. And I was in a funk for several years, thinking that this will never get better and I'll never really feel loved again. And then it hit me one day, why do I think that sex is never going to be great? And why do I think that my husband doesn't love me? Like maybe the issue is how I'm thinking. Because if everyone else is having really great sex, then why do I think I'm the only one on the planet who can't? (laughs) And so I just, instead of feeling sorry for myself, I started saying, okay, how can I just totally turn this around and not wait for him to make it better, but wait for me to start thinking about it differently. Wow. Okay, so first of all, we forgot to rate this show as PG-13 to get you. (laughs) And second of all, um, there's chatter back here because I love talking about sex. And um, and so this we should have made this an hour segment instead of just 30 minutes with you. Uh, So, (laughs) Sheila, I got to tell you, I just met with a gal that is kind of in the newlywed stage and she basically said exactly what you just said. Like she goes, I'm happy never having sex for the rest of my life. I know my husband wants it all the time and the more he wants it, it makes me go the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, so uh, I love what you said. I just want to dissect. There's a few things that, that you mentioned there. Um, so how, what kind of advice would you give our listeners? Because um, there does seem to be a lot of women that are that feel that way towards towards their husband. And what what would you say to them? Like what what would be the beginning? I know obviously, you know, we always say, okay, you got to start praying, praying that this is something that you will be excited about. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yet we see the cycle because the, the wife says no, then the guy, you know, all of a sudden here's a strong, neat, godly man who's looking <laughs> at porn because and, and I'm not saying I'm not blaming it on, on the female. I mean, you know, there's so much more to that even, but how do you even start changing that cycle. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me, let me say this in nine thoughts that can change your marriage. I'm really saying, look, if if he's watching porn, if you've got some major issues in your marriage, then here's how you address them. And I talk about how to sit down and address them. You don't want to put up with that. So I'm not talking about those particular marriages right now. Okay. So, so if your husband's having an affair, watching porn, et cetera, that's not what I'm talking about. And and then in about 30% of marriages, she's actually the one with the higher sex drive. So we can touch on that in a minute too, but if you're listening and you're like, I wish my husband wanted it at least a bit. I do understand. I really do. But, but let's put that on the shelf for a second too. (laughs) And let's talk about your newlywed friend. Okay. So here she is and she's married and sex is just nothing to be that excited about. And I think part of the issue, like, yes, we can pray about it, but I think a lot of the issue is that we do not understand how our sex drives work because the media has totally portrayed women. Like we're totally like men. Because if you look at any TV program, any movie, this is what happens, okay? So the couple is together, and they're attracted to each other, so they start panting. And then they start kissing, and then the clothes come off, and then they end up in bed. Mm -hmm. That's, That's it. You know, you pant, you kiss, the clothes come off, bed. Pant, kiss, clothes, bed. (laughs) 
And so there you are at home. Four easy steps. <laughs> there you are at home, and you're waiting to pant, and nothing's happening. And so you think, I'm just not in the mood, because on TV and in movies, all these women are panting, and I'm not panting, so I must not be in the mood. But actually, for women, most women are not aroused until you start making love. And, and for us, it's almost entirely in our heads. It's what we think about sex that's going to determine our libidos. And if you're saying to yourself, just like I was, sex is awful, it's not that fun, I'd rather be making a shopping list, you know, or whatever, then you're not going to enjoy it. But if you start saying positive things to yourself and say, you know what, I want to sleep better tonight and sex helps me sleep and so I'm tired, so let's get it on, you know, and you're telling yourself these positive things, it's far more likely to be enjoyable. So we've got to change our thought patterns and not just, um, and not just think that our husbands can change everything for us. Hmm. And that's such a great distinction because it is, you're right. We get our view so many times from what we see on the media and we, then we think that's normal. And then we, we interpret that as I'm abnormal if I'm not responding in the same way, because everybody else must be doing it that way. Cause that's what we see. And that's what we know. And, and you're right for women. It is so much about in our heads and, and how we see that. But you don't really see that on TV, like you said, or in the movies or, or just conversation. And so you start assuming things that are, that are inaccurate, like you're saying. Absolutely. And, you know, sex may be natural, but that doesn't mean that we naturally do it well. Mm. And it can take a long time to learn how to make things work really well. You know, our media gives us the impression that the people that are having the most fun in the bedroom are, you know, your single 20-somethings who are playing the field and all of that. But actually, when I did my surveys for um, my other book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, what I found was that the best years for sex and marriage are actually years 16 to 24. So, you know, it's after you've been married for a decade and a half and you really know each other well and the kids are sleeping through the night <laughs> and, uh, and you can be vulnerable with them. And, and that, those are the people that are having the most fun. So, you know, for that newlywed, if it's not great yet, it can be. So just make it the most fun research project you'll ever do together. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. A research project. Yes. Look at it. <laughs> From definitely from a different perspective. So we just have about two minutes before we go into a commercial break. When you say um, change the perspective, what would be like two other tips besides a research project and, um, you know, changing your thought patterns? What would be two more tips that you found that you were able to help you in changing your thought pattern? About sex? You want sex? For yes. two minutes? Okay. Two minutes. First of all, sex is for you. It's not just for him. And so figure out what the benefits are for you. Like I said, you sleep better. <laughs> um, you, you feel closer to him. Little things he does don't bug you as much. Uh, you just feel cemented together. And I think that, that we get into this rut where we feel like sex is totally for the guy and it's just something we have to do and we forget how good it is for us. And, and so start telling yourself those positive messages. Mm. And then just remember, I think this is the biggest thing. Sex takes practice, but the practice can be fun. Mm. And, and that's, that, those are simple. And, and those are great things. I'm, you know what? I, I, this is a conversation that we don't have as women a lot of times sitting around. And, um, 
and, and, you know, for all ages, like you said, like Patty just had a conversation with a newlywed to, to people that have been married for quite a while and like, okay, I want to, I don't want to lose that. And I, you know, I want to rekindle that. And I want, I want the hope to see, but it's just, sometimes we think it has to be this major shift and it is a major, but it's really a simple little things you can do that can make a major impact. And, and, and that's such a great thing to have, just be reminded of. It's like, okay, you don't have to settle. And you don't have to just, um, you know, just think this is how it's always going to be. But we, there are things that we can do and just changing our attitude, which is so much of life anyway, and just, you know, changing a couple little things. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our PG-13 rated show that we're loving. We'll be right back. <laughs> This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up. Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We have been having a fabulous conversation with best-selling author Sheila Grewar, and she is a regular guest host on 100 Huntley Street and has been featured on Focus on the Family, Huntington Post Live, and on the Dennis Prager radio show, which I love Dennis Prager, and, <laughs> as well as many, many others. She's a native of Canada, and during commercial break, we were already mocking her accent. And <laughs> she has earned two master's degrees from Queen's University with one 
one in sociology and the other in public administration. Her real education, though, has come as she's learned to be a wife to her husband, Keith, a pediatrician, and a mother to her um, two children, Rebecca and Katie. Um, Well, you guys, you and your husband travel around in an RV trying to catch rare bird species, which is, that's interesting alone. And you also live at the grocery store. So if we have time, we're going to have to talk about that. You guys, um, you must be healthy eaters or something. But anyway, I just wanted to jump in, Sheila. We went from having this, hey, how do we have hot sex? How do we change our thought patterns so we can have hot sex with our husbands? And um, we also, whenever you're going to that extreme, just so we can truly be in reality of what our listeners are going through, through we need to also talk about um, the downside of having hot sex. Not every husband wants to have sex every hour, every day. (laughs) And how do you have these conversations of just being able to break down and dissect some of the issues that are going on through intimacy? So help us with that. Yeah, and that's the hardest part, I think, of marriage, because no matter what the issue is, whether it's about sex or finances or anything, we don't like bringing stuff up because we feel like we're being mean. We feel like we're causing conflict if we bring something up. But one of the thoughts I've got in Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage is that we're supposed to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And if there is something seriously wrong in your marriage, you've got to talk about it. Not talking about it doesn't doesn't fix anything. It just shoves it under. And, you know, one of the biggest problems that I see, especially when it comes to sex, is a lot of women are married to guys who don't want it. And that, there could be simple reasons. You know, it could be um, medications. A lot of antidepressants do that to you. It could be some health issues related to diabetes or kidney function or whatever. It could just be low testosterone. Um, and it's really worth getting those things checked out. But that aside, today, the number one reason that guys don't want sex is because of pornography. Because mm-hmm. porn trains your brain to be aroused by an image or a fantasy or a video rather than a person. And then you just can't get aroused with your wife. And it's so tragic. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I really believe that, that sex is supposed to um, be spiritually intimate, emotionally intimate, and physically intimate. And when you watch porn, all you've got is the physical. You've stripped it of everything else. Mm-hmm. And and it's just uh, it, it's so scary, and I feel so badly for women in these marriages. But if you don't address the problem, it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So if he's watching porn, he needs an accountability partner. You need something on your computer, in your tablets, in your phone, some sort of a filter that so that he can't do it anymore. Um, and you may even need to bring your pastor or your brother or someone into the situation to have a, a serious talk with him because it cannot be accepted and it can't keep going on. Mm-hmm. So how do you even... Um Uh, Lisa and I do a lot with helping girls that are in the sex industry and, um, but how do you on this side of it in a marriage, even find out if your husband might have an issue here? Yeah, I don't want to make everyone paranoid. (laughs) You know, we, and I certainly don't mean that, but I think that most of us sense if there's something wrong. Hmm. And, you know, if there is something wrong, don't ignore that sense that you've got. Um, 
most of the times when there's something really bad in the marriage, you knew about it years before you even started talking about it. That's what couples have told me. So if you think there's something wrong, just ask him. And and you can often tell if if a guy is running away from intimacy with you sexually, chances are he's running away from intimacy with God. He's running away from any kind of emotional intimacy, too, because he's completely closed off. That's what pornography does to you. So if you can't have a deep conversation with him anymore, when you really feel like you know his heart, there could be something wrong. Mm-hmm. And you just need to ask him. It's it's probably a good idea to pray a lot before you bring that up. Mm-hmm. Um and and if he will not let you see his phone or see his computer, that is a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay, so this weekend um, I had a, a family. We were all out of town, and and my my younger niece. We were talking about. I'm, I'm kind of switching gears, but it, it's it's in the in the same, um, you know, same concepts. But let's talk a little bit about submission. Um, the younger generation. <laughs> uh, she was just saying, you know. I get it. I get what it says in the Bible, but sometimes we take that word submission to the extreme, you know, when I don't call my husband captain, let's just say that. (laughs) Um, Well, I won't tell you what I call him, but (laughs) thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. PG-13, PG-13. Okay. (laughs) But we have misinterpreted, you know, some of just even in that term and, um, there can be some damage there in, I, I think, in the legalism of how, as Christians, we've created this, you know, if your husband shakes his cup, you're supposed to run and put ice in it, you know, that kind of submission. So what do you think, um, just your interpretation of that as to be God-ordained in that design for our marriage? Yeah, I think we really misunderstand what that word means, because... <laughs> Who are we supposed to submit to? You know, when you say the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? We say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. That is the prayer of any Christian's heart, that God's will is done in the world. And so as a wife, your main prayer should be that God's will is done in your husband's life and in your life. And there should never be anything that trumps that, including your husband. You know, when I ask people what they think submission means, I almost always hear an answer that goes something like this. If we can't agree on something, then he gets to make the decisions. And I think that's kind of shallow So, because my husband and I don't tend to disagree. My husband and I try to find an agreement. We, we work through the conflict until we agree. So does that mean that I never submit? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really silly. Here's what, I, here's what I think it means. To submit means that you completely love your husband and that his needs and concerns are foremost in your mind so that you're living your life in order to bless and benefit him. And the way that you bless and you benefit him is you work towards his long-term interests. So if your husband is using pornography, it is being submissive to get rid of that pornography and confront him on it. Mm. Because God wants your husband following him. And if you put up with something that's really wrong, that is not submissive in a godly sense at all. In fact, there was a woman who was struck down dead for that in Acts 5. (laughs) So, yeah, if your husband's doing something wrong, it is submissive to confront him about it and deal with that. Mm-hmm. Well, and let's take it to another level. Um, I've actually had, uh, I had a gal that came up to me after speaking on sex and 
she was in a situation wanting to be submissive to her husband. And he was actually using that, you know, the scripture to his favor and saying, we need to add a person and a third person to this party. And, oh, and, man. and she was saying, what do I, what do I do with this situation? So, um, go ahead and enlighten us on that topic, Sheila. <laughs> you say, uh, no. And then you call the pastor <laughs> and you bring a, a, someone else in there to confront your husband. Mm. Um, it's very clear in Matthew 18, what we do if someone is sitting against us, right? We confront them individually. And if that doesn't work, we get one or two other people and confront him. And if that doesn't work, we get the leaders of the church. So you don't get everybody in the world, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you, you deal with it like that. And nowhere does it say that applies everywhere except for marriage. That applies in marriage, too. And sometimes we're going to need some help. I think that's why everybody needs a marriage mentor. You know, just a great couple that's maybe 10 years older than you <laughs> that you can have over for dinner and they can say, okay, yeah, that's odd. Don't do that. That's just odd. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know what? um, I mean, these are all sorts of some great, you're talking about the intimacy, you know, and like, I I liked how you broke it down. You know, there's a physical, emotional, spiritual intimacy. What are some practical steps that women can take to to truly increase that spiritual, emotional intimacy in their marriage? Because it's like a lot of times, you know, like these conversations you have, they don't even know the first step. Like, how do I even approach, how do I enter into a conversation that might be uncomfortable? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have an uncomfortable conversation until you can have comfortable ones. Mm. Like you can't just start with here's everything that's wrong until you've actually fed your marriage. And I think a lot of people, don't you think they get married and then they forget how to have fun together? Mm -hmm. It's like we used to do all this fun stuff and now all we do is cook and to-do lists and and all that. And you just got to figure out some hobbies to do with your husband or just something that doesn't involve a screen. Because here's one thing that I really realized. Men, this is gold, so everyone write this down, okay? Men communicate side by side. Women do it face-to-face. Men do it side by side. So Mm. if we want to have a talk with a girlfriend, we want to sit in front of them and share our hearts and look into their eyeballs. But men are far more likely to talk when they're doing something. So if you can find something to do with your husband, you'll find that natural conversations happen. So, like, my husband loves bird watching, so we go bird watching. I don't love it, but that's okay because we're out in nature and we're talking, and that's great. Mm. So, you know, you got to find something to do, even if it means sticking the kids in the stroller and going for a walk after dinner every night or whatever, but do something. Don't expect them to talk to you just because you're in the same room. And that is such a great tip because I know, like, for my husband and I, and we've been married, you know, quite a few years. We're past your 24-year mark. Um, we like, he likes to take a, we like to go take a drive, get a cup of coffee and just go drive and now that we're empty nesters or go take a walk, you know, and, and just have a couple. And so I know when he says, Hey, you want to go take a walk or you want to go take a drive? I know that that's going to be like a time to talk. And, and, and that is so true. It's like doing something where just like a no brainer, just relaxing instead of sitting down in your living room and going, okay, let's have a conversation. That's mm-hmm. fun. And you know, it's like, it doesn't happen. You do have to find that commonality and to do something together that does make all the difference. Well, Sheila, thank you for joining our show. Our time went so fast. We just appreciate this conversation. We just invite everyone to listen, to share this uh, podcast with other people and stay tuned. We'll be going to be right back with more on our show today. 
This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Recently, a sweet tooth bear broke into a Colorado bakery and helped himself to some dessert. I'm guessing the bear was probably squabbish or fat, but we'll never know because the surveillance camera was pointed in the other direction. In total, the slobber chop scarfed down 24 cherry pies, 14 apple pies, and some sugar and cocoa before lumbering off, leaving behind a huge mess and a trail of sugar and cherries. Oddly enough, the Gabberlunzi bear didn't eat the strawberry rhubarb pies. There's still no word as to whether the bakery staff who cleaned up after the bear was paid on a flowerly rate. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we started out the show talking about what is your plan to love? And that just seems like such an odd question because you really don't put down a strategic plan on on how we love and how we love um, our friends, how we love our husbands, and like we talked about earlier, even how you love your enemies. And joining us now, we have best-selling author Jill Lynn Boutaine. She's the author of Just Show Up, The Dance of Walking Through Suffering Together. And she wrote this book with a friend that she loved um, called Kara Tippetts and their relationship um, basically just writing about the the seasons of life and how you're doing the loads of laundry and all the craziness of life and even in a time of battling um, cancer and she tragically lost her friend on March 22nd 2015. Um, Lisa and I talk about this quite a bit that many times there's books on when you lose your husband, there's books on when you lose your parents or you lose a child but rarely do you get to read those books on what happens that devastating time of when you lose your your best friend and you you just you're grieving in such a a crazy way and yet people really don't understand I think that kind of grief so Jill welcome to the show how are you you. I'm fine thank you thanks for having me (laughs) Well, thanks for being on the show, and thank you for writing this book with um, with your friend Kara. And I was um, 
Well, Lisa and I were just both very excited to have you on the show to to hear about that. It's something that Lisa and I never want to have to go through. And um, we talk about that on how do you just show up. So tell us a little bit. I hate to just jump in there, jump in there, but the show always goes so fast. So tell us a little bit about the circumstances with you and, and Kara that led you to even write this book together. Yeah, so Kara and I met to Colorado to plant a church and it was my church that had hired them. So we met through church, we met through school. About six months later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was uh, really fast and so our friendship was pretty and um, wrestling through that a little bit with Kara of am I in or am I out? Because it was, it was scary and I didn't know how to be there and we hadn't been friends for 20 years and so our friendship sort of started with me. I just felt toward her. And I think it was the Holy Spirit just saying, you, you need to be there for her. And so mm-hmm. that's how we started. And, and then our friendship grew. Uh, Kara was a big extrovert. And we were both writers and talk, sort of dream about writing a book together. Mm-hmm. And we would text ideas back and forth. And then all of a sudden, this came. And uh, it was Kara's idea. And I think she saw the need um, you know, as the one suffering. And then I was seeing amazing things happen around her that I had never done right before in community. And so that's how this book was born. We just thought this, this needs to be talked about and no one is really talking about it. It is such a great subject um, because it is, you feel so inadequate in situations like this. And, you know, when, when somebody is, is in that need or, you know, it's like, what do I say? And a lot of times it's not a, about the words and what do I do? And so just show up is so appropriate because that speaks volumes. And a lot of times we think it's all about our words. And um, I want to ask you, when, when, when Kara first got diagnosed with cancer, did she, did you guys realize how serious it was? Like a tough cancer, a fast-growing cancer. Um, and so right away she chose a very tough treatment. Her chemo um, was really hard. And so that was kind of all I really understood was that um, she definitely needed to fight it with everything that she had. And so she did that. So even right away, that first fall that she did chemo, it really took um, it out of her. There were a lot of days that she would get just so sick and couldn't leave her bed um, after treatment. So, yeah, we had almost no idea. We just thought, okay, we're going to do this treatment. It's going to be chemo and radiation, and then life is going to go on. She was 36. Mm-hmm. Um, never, never did I imagine that this would be the outcome. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's interesting. I, I'm dealing with my college friend um, in the last six months. She has cancer. And I, you said something interesting. Uh, you wrote the book because you realized, you know, the things that you were doing wrong in community. Mm-hmm. And, um, that that's what, so we second guess ourselves. And even this morning, my, my girlfriend, um, she, she just finished the chemo and a couple months ago, and she has a 70% chance of the cancer coming back and her count doubled. So she's going in this morning to have to go through more tests. So I just, I sent her a quick text this morning, just telling her, you know, I'm praying for you. Let me know if you find out anything. And she said, yeah, thanks for lifting my arms like Aaron and Moses. And I Mm. respond because I'm always the sarcastic one, as Lisa would (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, we'll I, get along well then. <laughs> well, I responded to her with, yes, you are exhausting me. Sigh, snicker. And um, someone else would look at that text and go, seriously? She just said, you know, be my Aaron and hold mm-hmm. up my arms. And you're like, uh, yeah, you're exhausting me. I'm having to hold your arms up all the time now. And you <laughs> I think that's the biggest hint. I know when I've gone through, you know, a horrific thing in my life, it's people being real and transparent and just being who they are. Like if it's, you know, mocking and being humorous or whatever, I actually enjoyed that more than the syrupy, sweet, okay, you need to leave now because, you know, I'm getting a cavity here. It's... (laughs) I prefer that. And so I would like to know, like, what do you, what would your tips be? And what did you write in the book? on like you said, you're, you're doing things wrong and we're so afraid that we will. Mm-hmm. We don't want to offend anyone and, you know, mess up in their grief. Yeah. Well, we are going to mess up. So I, that's usually the first thing I say to people is you're just going to do something wrong and get, you know, just get over it because it's going to happen. And it is better to do something wrong and to make the effort than to not do anything at all or to ignore someone. I mean, many times I hear these stories of people who are going through something hard and everyone disappears mm-hmm. from their life. And that's what we don't want to do. And I think what you did with your friend is so great because I'm sure you know her personality. Um, so, and she knows yours. And so that's keeping your friendship real. And I mean, I would laugh if somebody sent that to me and it would probably make my day. So I think that's great that you're, you know, being who you are and, you know, we just aren't going to have perfect words. There were a lot of times with Kara when, I mean, we were texters and so she would text me something bad or hard news. And I often just said, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And she accepted that. And, and I think that was maybe even better than trying to answer because what can you answer in those moments? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just horrible and hard. Mm-hmm. And I think people just want someone to sit with them, to be with them um, and hug them and be with them in their suffering. And I think that's what you're doing with your friend. You're basically mm-hmm. saying, Hey, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Will you talk about, you know, learning to be comfortable with your uncomfortable? Uh, can you just share a story from your friendship with Kara that illustrates what you mean by that? Yeah, so I was the kind of person who, when I saw someone who was going through something hard or I knew, whatever, if they'd lost someone or whatever their struggle was, I would just go in the other direction (laughs) because I was so afraid to say the wrong thing. Mm. And I think with Kara, it became almost like practicing something. I stepped into that uncomfortable, and the more we do it, the easier it gets. I don't think it ever gets easy to do suffering with someone because it just is, it's just kind of awkward in nature and, and you don't always know what to say and do. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, it just started with a step and, and then I continued to do that. And she, I mean, she was a great person and personality. And so it was so easy our friendship to continue to grow. And I think along the lines of what you said, I was sarcastic with Kara. I mean, (laughs) one of the first times I met her, I made a joke about the number of children she had. She had four kids, which I, you know, it's not economical. And she just gave me this look and she laughed and I thought, okay, we're totally going to be friends because she gets my sarcasm. Yeah. And so do that. Be who you are 
you know, normally with that person because a lot of people are tiptoeing around them. Mm. And that's you know, such a, I mean, that gives you such encouragement. It's like, okay, I, I can be who I am. And it's when we step into, like, I have to give all this wise counsel and wise advice and, and kind of a, and spiritualize it that we go, okay, who is this person now? Who am I? And so it, it right. is just being yourself and, and letting, allowing, bringing um, as much normalness to the friendship mm-hmm. and admits, you know, things that are so out of control. And I think that's such a great um, thing to just remember because we can do that. Yeah. And I think when we try to spiritualize it is when we get into trouble mm-hmm. and we say the things that we probably shouldn't be saying, like, you know, God's not going to give you more than you can handle or he's doing great things through you. Those things like might be true, but when you're suffering, you don't want to hear them. And mm-hmm. so it's okay to just say the simple things or even just give a hug. I mean, when I was doing this with Kara and her um, prognosis changed, I, I would have people say stuff to me like, but look at who Kara is impacting through the blog. She's doing amazing things. And in my head, I knew that was true, but like this was my friend. And so I didn't care about that at that moment. You know, I just wanted a hug. And I wanted someone to say, this is so hard, and I'm sorry, and I'm praying for you, or I'm praying for you and Kara. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it is it, it is just, like you said, showing up and being yourself and not trying to um, make it so spiritual, which I don't know where we get that, that we have to say those things. And we, uh, we mm-hmm. think that's, the, that's being spiritual, you know, when a lot of times being spiritual is just saying, you know, that that's t- that sucks, you know. I mean, yeah. that, and and it's like that's such an unspiritual word, but sometimes that that really is appropriate, and yeah. and and um and a lot of times that can bring much comfort and that can create those kind of holy moments. And it's like you know, kind of redefining what is, you know, what is spiritual. It's like just right. showing up and loving and and acknowledging, wow, this is this is not a good thing. This is this is painful, and right. I'm I'm just yeah. here for you, and so. I think, you know, there's a huge difference in that. And I don't know why sometimes we think just showing up isn't enough. We feel like we have to Mm, do more. And a lot of times that it truly is more than enough that you took the time to just show up. Well, we're going to take a quick break and and continue our conversation because this is significant. I'm talking about, you know, friendships and and just being, you know, comfortable in the uncomfortable. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. 
Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. As you know, I love words. A lexiconopolist is someone who collects dictionaries and books about words. When I open up a big, unabridged dictionary and look at all those words, it amazes me to think we only use a small fraction of these in our day-to-day language. In fact, the same 100 words make up about half of our daily speech. The 10 most commonly used words are the, be, to, of, an, a, in, that, have, and I. Hmm, I guess most of us avoid words with two syllables. So what's a word for the fear of long words? Sacopetalophobia. So if you consider yourself a lexiconopolis, you can go to my website and pick up a copy of my Wordaholic quiz book, where you'll find a superfluidity of words you've never heard. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, joining us, we're back with our um, with our with author Jill Butane, who is the author of "Just Show Up: The Dance of Walking Through Suffering Together." And we were just having such a um, just a great conversation with her about just kind of the realities of friendship, and especially um, she just walked a journey with her dear friend Kara and her battle with cancer that she lost um, this past March, and just the difficulties in friendship and navigating through, and you know what is appropriate, and how do you just be there um, for somebody when they're going through something so horrific, and a lot of times we feel so inadequate and uncomfortable. And Jill talks about learning to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think that's so true. And so many times we feel like, you know, when we just show up that it's not really enough. So Jill, as we're, as we're continuing this conversation, um, continue to walk us through, how did you navigate through to really realize that? And how did you guys come to, I know you and Kara worked on this book to come up with mm-hmm. the, the title, just show up. Cause it's a great title. Thank you. Yeah. I, Give all credit to Kara. <laughs> she totally came up with it. Um, and I think being on the inside and the one suffering, she probably understood even more than I did how important just showing up is. I mean, she could see the value in the people that just came around her and loved on her. Um, mm-hmm. There was a pastor who, he was on the pastoral team, and he went to every one of Kara's treatments. He did not miss a treatment. And then when she went into hospice care, he came every single day. And wow. often it wasn't even that long. You know, I would, we would see him, us girls, he'd come in, he would read a verse, he would say a prayer, and he'd be out. And I just always thought, oh, he's the, he's the perfect example. Um, you know, we think we have to go and sit with someone for an hour in the hospital. Well, that might be draining on them, mm-hmm. but you could go for 15 minutes or five minutes. Um, and he just was so amazing about 
just showing up and their relationship was really, really beautiful. I love what you said, just even to be there for minutes. It's actually like such a good test because Lisa and I have both talked about that in just when you are in the hospital. Sometimes mm-hmm. people overstay yeah. <laughs> and you're so exhausted and you, at least my temperament, being a high extrovert, you feel like you have to be on for them. Right. So I have a harder time when someone's just sitting there. I, I had a girlfriend when I was in, in the hospital. She would come in and paint my toenails, and it was hysterical. Like, I loved that, that she would come mm-hmm. in, she would rip off the sheets, paint my toenails, and then she was like, okay, got to go, and she would leave. But the, it's like a fond memory that that's yeah. what she did, rather than having to hang out for an hour yeah. when you're exhausted. So yeah, I love it, that. There was a friend who did that for Kara. That was their thing. She would go and paint her nails. So super sweet. Mm. I remember mm. one time when I went to sit with Carol in the hospital, I brought my laptop because I, I thought, I don't want her to feel like she has to entertain me, like you were saying. And so I ended up sitting with her for much of that day and just writing. But mm. it was still like this really great day. There was this moment where she was like asleep and she was facing me on the pillow and she opened her eyes and she said, it gives me so much comfort to open my eyes and see you here. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I remember thinking, really, because I'm not doing anything, <laughs> it yeah. just felt like it wasn't enough. You know, like you said, nothing ever feels like it's enough. But mm-hmm. I just have really fond memories of that day and just, and just sitting with her, and she slept for most of that day. Mm. And you know, that is so, a, Jill, such a gift that we can give, you know, like you said, you're just sitting there and you're doing your normal routine and she just looks over and sees that you care and you're not expecting anything from her. Cause like you said, right. a lot of times when people come, it's like they come in. Cause I, I remember one time I was, um, when I was in the hospital and, um, somebody came and they literally stayed for two hours and I oh, wanted wow. so badly to get up and go to the bathroom and do stuff. And I didn't know them that well. And it was like, <laughs> I was so exhausted and I was so still kind of, you know, drug induced after surgery. Yeah. And you're just yeah. like, I just want to, cause you know, you don't look your best, you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I just want to kind of be here. And, and even, you know, knowing kind of the boundaries of like, how well do you know somebody to be able to just, obviously you had the, you know, the relationship where you could just sit there you know? Right. And I, I just think understanding that too. And just, you know, like, you know, we said earlier, like sometimes just go with, like you said, the pastor does five, five or 10 minutes can just, right. you know, it means the world and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's more than enough. And so, you know, how just learning, I think through that and the, you know, learning through the awkwardness and to yeah. learn what, what, you know, can, can really do, but can you share just some sweet moments that you guys shared where you just, um, you know, where you got to see how God just kind of loved on you and how it kind of was just expressed in your friendship. Yeah, I mean, there were so many just small moments where, you know, we were doing this obviously super hard thing. I mean, watching Kara suffer was incredibly painful. And you would just think, where, God, where are you in this? You just have those moments. It's not even doubt, but you just, you need that hope. Mm -hmm. And he just would continually show us so many small things, small ways. You know, the one that I really, that comes to mind for me was there was always this sense of peace in the Tippett's home. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I would walk in the door and 
oh, my breath would come out and my shoulders would relax. It was like, mm. here I am going to see a friend who's dying. This should be uncomfortable. But it was so beautiful to be with her. It, there was just so much peace in that home. And I would walk away thinking, there shouldn't be peace. This doesn't make any sense. But to, it just felt like God was like, I'm here. You might not understand what is going on. I am here, and I'm in this. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, Jill, also, you know, talking about just that those moments of peace, how have you been able to deal with the grief of after she's gone? I know Lisa and I talk about that all the time. It's, it's just so hard. Like, you wouldn't be able to, this person that you've had, that they've been, you know, such a big part of your life, and yeah. I think the world doesn't recognize sometimes how intimate friendships can be and how much a part, you know, Lisa and I tease each other that we just talk to each other in our brain all the time. <laughs> it's like I'm talking yeah. to you in my head right now. And we laugh about having an IV, you know, plugged in. And it's like, yeah, all of a sudden that IV is just yanked out. So how have you been able to cope with just the grief mm-hmm. of, of losing a friend? Yeah, well, I think for sure there is you know, just this sort of denial at first. I I ended up writing a, a blog on her blog about when I first went to their house after she was gone and that I had to look at her bed where she always was because in my head I was like, why aren't you texting me? Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like, where did mm-hmm. you go? And in your head, it's like they're still there. They're still where they always were. And so that was a process to just kind of see that and, and tell myself she isn't here. Um, and you just sort of have to figure that out first. And I think I, we girls have been given a real gift in each other. Um, Kara had kind of a core group of women around her, and they are still my friends, and we have loved on each other. And so there's a grace in that, that when one of us is having a bad day, everybody just kind of gets it. I mean, we were different personalities, and we all had a kind of our different friendship with Kara, but that has been a comfort to me to grieve with them. And, like, we got together on her birthday and what would have been her birthday and just sort of had this night where it was somebody asked me about it. I said it was good hard <laughs> because mm-hmm. it was. It was good and it was hard. And I think mm-hmm. you have to have those moments where you do almost think about the person because it's a little bit easier for me to keep running and not grieve. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my instinct. Uh, sometimes even when I see a photo of her online, I'll skim past it. I just, you know, there's just this part of you that's like, it's going to hurt and I don't want to deal mm-hmm. with it. But at the same time, I know I need to. So mm-hmm. that's the balance that I'm walking right now. Mm-hmm. So what have you, we just have, you know, a little less than three minutes. And again, we want to just thank you for um, just being a part of our, our conversation and our show today. And if you could just tell, you know, how can our, our, our listeners, um, you know, learn more information about your, your book and, um, you know, and just even the ministry there. Um, but what is something that you felt like God has really taught you through all of this on, on a mm. deep personal level? For me, this has really been about obeying. Um, I mean, even from that first nudge with Kara, when I knew, okay, I, I feel awkward, uncomfortable, and I don't know what I'm doing, I just knew I needed to obey in that moment. And I think, what if I hadn't? 
um, look what I would have missed out on. I mean, what we did walk with Kara was incredibly hard, but it was also incredibly beautiful. And mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like I'm a different person. So, and even with the book, it was obviously not easy to write. Kara was dying as we were writing it. And I just would spend many days literally just like sobbing and writing. Um, and I knew I needed to obey. Like this was what God was asking me to do and I needed to do it. And he shows up and he blesses us and he takes care of us. It doesn't always mean that it's easy, but he definitely meets us when he asks us to do, to do something. Mm. Mm. And that mm. is so true. And, you know, even in, in your friendship, that's, you know, that was a gift that you'll never forget. And, you know, and yeah. just even through the book, um, the legacy of friendship and, and just the sweetness of that. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of times you look at that and you go, it'd be easy to walk away and go, my heart's just going to get hurt here because my friend, yeah. I'm investing in someone that's not going to probably be with me on the journey. And I think a lot of people want to go, I don't even want to let my heart engage on, yeah. a, on a deeper level because it's just going to get hurt. Um, and so just the fact that you were obedient and you, you know, you stayed in the journey and you loved, even though it was so hard. And it, like you said, yeah. it was a good heart. Um, again, thank you for joining us. How can our listeners, we just have a few seconds, um, find your book? Um, we're in all bookstores, uh, Barnes and Noble on Amazon. It should be pretty easy to find. And Kara, um, her site's still going online too, mundanefaithfulness.com for people who want to catch up with her family. Her husband just blogged yesterday. So, mm. well, thank you for just demonstrating just the sweetness and the sacredness of friendship um, mm. and just the importance of just showing up. And it's okay to feel awkward and to feel uncomfortable. We can still make a difference in just simple little uh, moments of just being there and showing up and loving. Thanks for joining our show. Until next thank time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.